We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week 13. Mario Puig and I are going to be breaking down every game on this week's slate from every fantasy angle, all the toughest lineup decisions, all that good stuff. We're getting into all that. Let's dig in. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast presented by our friends over at No House Advantage. John McKechnie here, joined as always by Mario Puig. We're back to our regular posting schedule after uh, doing a little early record during Thanksgiving week. I, I don't know about you, Mario, but I I just kind of out of muscle memory, I uh, just sat down and started recording a podcast on Thursday morning last week. You just uh, slept, walked to the computer and just started recording. Yeah, yeah. Woke up with a nice out, a nice ninety-minute crisp, uh, saved recording in front of you. Yep, all all the above. You know, had the ad reads, had all that good stuff, sharp analysis, um, just really everything uh, that that we had done previously. But yeah, it was it was completely you know through a Walter White fugue state. Started reading a script that you got that that was like seared in your mind back when you got uh, like Harry's razor sampler. Six years ago, like that was you the script that came up. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how, like, at, at the time, like how stoked I was to get some free razors. Oh God, dude! Yeah, especially because they're like out of undergrad, getting like uh, a, an advertiser sending you a disposable razor is like a real high point in your life at that. Mine too, at that point. Um, I mean, but yeah, now I can, like, now I can buy my own disposable blades. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm I'm still a, a Harry's. Uh, Stan, basically, but um, you know that, that we can we can discuss more shaving. I like uh, the with, uh, I like the disposable kind that cuts your face a lot, and uh, that that's what I go for instead. The 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 dollar bix, uh, those are those Saving are always. That's <laughs> true. It's a very good point. Um, anywho, speaking of razors, we got a game at Gillette Stadium tonight. Oh, how yes! about that for a transition? We meant to do that. We Let's do go. That. Yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. We are. Oh boy! Folks, but um, yes, the the New England Patriots, the the Gillette gods themselves, are hosting the Buffalo Bills, uh, a team that famously uh, has unkempt facial hair. 
Um, so let's let's kind of dive in and, and see see what we can unpack for this one. We've got the Bills checking in as three and a half point favorites. I think that's down just a touch from earlier in this week. Yeah. Uh, if I if if memory I serves, it was, five, it was maybe that it opened at. Uh, sorry, I don't have this right. <laughs> yeah, five and a half rather, and uh, yes. over under is also down from forty five to forty three and a half. So th- things are things are moving a little bit. We're we're maybe the the market reflecting a little bit of a, a lower scoring type of game one that that would in fact I think uh, favor uh, the Patriots. Three and a half is an interesting number. Um, I saw earlier this week that there was a really high percentage of the betting volume on uh, the Buffalo Bills, but it, the money was was eff- effectively even. So that that goes to show that you know, despite maybe a little bit of less tickets going in on on the Patriots, they were bigger overall um, than than what you were seeing on average from the Buffalo side of things. Um, going back to to last Thursday, obviously both these teams played on Thanksgiving. Love that it like that. It's one of the few times where I can like tip the cap to the schedule maker. Just like oh nice, you like kind of use that to your advantage having the having the uh, two teams that played the previous Thursday play the following Thursday. It's good stuff. So. No, no uh, rest advantage or disadvantage for either of these teams. I thought Buffalo, you know, mo- didn't play their best game, but they they took care of business. And, and for New England, obviously, they they lost, but the offense looked good. Do we believe that going into tonight? It's it's hard to believe that the the Patriots defense of like the, uh, the offense of the first six weeks could have done that uh, against the Vikings defense. Like the Vikings defense. I think is limited in the secondary, but they've gotten better results than their personnel would dictate if only from the pass rush being so good. And the pass rush would have been a perfectly built in excuse for Mac Jones to have a rough game on Thanksgiving. Cause they, I don't think had David Andrews in there. They've been without the left tackle Isaiah Wynn for a while. And, uh, Zadarius Smith, Daniel Hunter, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson is a trio that's caused a lot of problems, uh, for, for a lot of offensive lines this year. So, it was set up for Mac Jones to have like another tough game and, and a decent enough excuse for it. And yet he had a really good game. And I, I guess you could probably argue should have had better box score yet, depending on how, uh, depending on your, your theory of how rules, sh- your, your personal philosophy of how rules should work, uh, whether, you know, they should be enforced as written or not, uh, whether, the enforcers of rules should have uh, the license to just reinterpret however they like in that moment. Uh, that Hunter Henry play could have been a bit more. And um, yeah, I think this, this is at once like a really tough break for the Patriots, both to lose that game and then get the bills right afterward. And yet this is probably the strongest uh, Mac Jones has looked since whatever, like October of 2021. Right. So, I mean, I, I just, I really almost didn't believe what I was seeing uh, on Thursday night with with the offense looking the the way that it did. Um, As far as New England's personnel for tonight, obviously Damian Harris uh, not going to be suiting up. And it just came across just a few minutes before we sat down here from Ian Rappaport that uh, it's like Trent Brown has been added to the injury report with an illness. Great. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I wonder why they would even report that unless he's kind of like trending toward not playing. Uh, I don't know why you'd say like this guy's fine, but just so everyone knows, don't shake his hand or anything. Yeah, um, he's he's got the sniffles, but otherwise, he's. 
Yeah, uh, I, I I guess that's that's kind of concerning because that is sorry is he the right tackle right now? Um, I have to believe he's the right tackle. Uh, so that would be I believe Win is already declared out. So if they're without both of their tackles, then at the very least that would wait no could just maybe I'm, uh, so I'm yeah they here. they are they're dinged up everywhere. So yes, Isaiah Win is out. Trent Brown being being added to the injury report. As questionable and, and Yodney Kajust, yes, uh, also questionable and David Andrews questionable. So th- this is kind of a a, uh, a tough offensive line setup, if nothing else, for, okay. for New England. Yeah, sorry is is Kajust the left tackle right now? Is that what I'm missing here? Because uh, I'm seeing that. Yeah, because Wanu is the right guard, I think. Anyway, sorry, uh, or the or the left guard, one of the two. Um, so yeah, that's in any case. Even without Von Miller, you don't want to be shuffling your offensive line like this going against Buffalo because uh, Von Miller, of course, is kind of what kind of takes them over the top. But their front four is still good without him. And Greg Rousseau might be one of the best defensive ends in the league pretty quickly here. You might be able to argue that he's pretty much already there. So him, Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, that's already plenty enough to worry about, even if you have a pretty good offensive line, which it seems like the Patriots we'll have something less than that here. And, uh, you know, the piggybacking on, on the running back, uh, situation here. I mean, for one, you know, how much run do we, do we think, uh, Ramondre Stevenson gets? And then, you know, that this t- ties in nicely for us and our, uh, you know, own little niche fandoms of the Patriots backfield depth. But do, do we see one of Pierre strong or Kevin Harris get into the mix a little bit tonight? I guess one of them has to play something like or the two of them combined at least need to play like five snaps at least. Like it's hard to believe Ramondre Stevenson could really play like 60 snaps in a game, which they might have to, uh, they might have to run 60 snaps. We'll see. Uh, I guess Stevenson has the frame, you know, and for one week, I guess it wouldn't be the most uh, shocking thing for him to take like some 30 carry workload, uh, but more than the even the carries and the touches specifically, it's like that's just a lot of snaps to be running. It's like you're going to kind of gas him on these many touches that you still need to give him. And yet Pierre Strong has five yards on one carry this year. And Kevin Harris has three carries for five yards in a game like eight weeks ago. So yep. uh, and Kevin Harris. The other thing about Kevin Harris is he is an underclassman. So he, I think, like just turned 22. Pierre Strong's like two or three years older than him. So I would guess Pierre Strong is just on the basis of experience, uh, the one more likely to play behind Stevenson. But I don't know what they're prepared to give him in terms of functions. Like they might just put him out there for five snaps to run like decoy. uh, What do you call those wheel routes or something? uh, Just to just just to like set up a screen to Stevenson on the other side of the field. You know, stuff like that is 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 on the table for these very few snaps. So I, in a showdown slate, I get, you know, seeking salary relief and chasing one of those two backs. I would say strong if one of the two, but I think you have to be prepared for a zero or close to it from both. Yeah, I I think so as well. This, this does kind of set up as the Stevenson show and uh, you know, for, for as, as well as we think uh, Stevenson can do uh, with the workload that he gets, does this kind of steer things towards New England testing things out uh, through the air um, a little bit more? I mean, Stevenson saw a good share of the targets last week. I think he might actually uh, led the team in targets 
against yeah. the Vikings. But then we saw Aguilar, uh, chew, you know, chew up about 23% of the targets, Henry and Parker, uh, both in the double digits target share, Jacoby Myers up there as well. So do, do we think that the Patriots maybe kind of explore the success that, that they had uh, last week in the, in the passing game? Well, they're, I feel like they're already kind of maxing out Stevenson's usage as a pass catcher, and he's getting good returns lately, but those returns are well above his career baseline to this point. So especially since he's not fast, I kind of think he's liable to get some regression there because uh, he's he's a guy that, especially, especially in the absence of other threats as a defense, you're going to look at these box scores of the Patriots and be like, oh, hey, they're, you know, they're giving like, eight and a half targets a game to this running back and this running backs giving them, you know, 60 yards a pop for, for that kind of usage. So in the absence of Mac Jones, especially being able to make like a vertical play or otherwise having a speed receiver to, to kind of give them the yards after the catch as a defense, you'd be crazy to not apply like the two high principles, the, 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 the reasons that the two high uh, zone coverage is so effective. You, you would be crazy to not roll that toward the backfield and, and, try to stay in front of Stevenson there and see what happens when Mac Jones can't get this, you know, 80% catch rate, six and a half yards per target return, make Mac Jones do something else, something that, you know, is a lower completion percentage. And, and to guys that to this point have not uh, given at re- receiver have not given the returns that Stevenson has given at running back and that kind of week to week adjustment, you know, season over season, season adjustment definitely happens. And so I think that's something that Stevenson's investors and, you know, biggest fans should keep in mind that like he can be very good, even if what he's shown you is the best that he can do, even if it's all worse from here, he can be a very good player. And I think it's kind of a lot of the analysis now that, you know, especially when you're chasing like hype clicks on Twitter and whatever else, there's a tendency to kind of just declare somebody the next big star over like a two game box score, whereas more likely Stevenson's just going to settle in as like a very good, well-rounded back who has the frame to take on a lot of volume and, and you know, do it well. But the explosiveness in his numbers, I think people should prepare to, to see kind of like dry up. I think he's going to be a guy that defenses sit on more and it's, it's going to be still, you know, 78, 80% catch rate, but it's going to be like, you know, 5.8, six yards a target. Not this stuff the past couple of weeks where he's giving them like nine, 10 yards a target. Right. Yeah. That just, it's hard to sustain that for, for most running backs, unless you're like an Austin Eckler type. So uh, just bear that in mind on the, on the Buffalo side, uh, at least for, for the showdown slate this evening is Isaiah McKenzie, good or bad chalk. I don't know, man. I mean, he's, he's such a limited player. And again, like there's so much, there's just like bad analysis and bad, like, a sensible scouting writing out there where people kind of just take like targets per snap and uh, fantasy points per snap, fantasy points per, per whatever. And they don't really interrogate the conditions, the circumstances that maybe had something to do with those numbers accruing as they did. And in the case of McKenzie, you know, there's some people who just like never watch a snap of football who look at his box scores and go like, Oh boy, he's, he runs like the the four four two or whatever, and he's got these fantasy points per snap. There's like these are the people who specifically convince themselves Isaiah McKenzie's better than Gabe Davis because he gets like more targets per snap, and they're just like ah targets, targets. That's great. Targets is fantasy PPR. PPR is the real you know PPR is reality. There is no world. There's just PPR scoring, and like those people look at McKenzie and think like 
I don't know. They must picture like a six foot two, 210 pound guy or something. Just, just like making a variety of wide receiver plays. And that's not his game at all. He's a gadget player who catches things close to the line of scrimmage. And from that point, either his yards after the catch ability kicks in and he has a lot of open field ability. In addition to his speed, his open field running ability is, is like the defining characteristic of McKenzie. But because he's five foot seven and otherwise doesn't have a downfield skill set, if that yards after the catch doesn't kick in, he just isn't giving you anything. And he's not exactly like a sure handed receiver either. He's not no. like a guy you can count on for tough catches. So if you leave him underneath and you leave him that room to run, you will pay for it. Because, I mean, at Georgia, he must have had like eight punt returns for a touchdown or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, he, they, they called him the human joystick at Georgia. He was the most exciting non running back like that Georgia Lama had for a little bit. Now. It started with Dante Hall and, and then Isaiah McKenzie became it. And after him, who, who knows? Uh, uh, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's basically the extent of McKenzie's usage. And in certain states, it makes him a good pairing with the Buffalo defense special teams, because if he does return a kick or punt for a touchdown, then you get you know twice as much. Or I hope that's how it works. I don't know if I, I, I know, like the Traylon Burks fumble recovery is no touchdown, but like a kick return on DraftKings, I feel like is a touchdown. Um, and, and McKenzie can definitely do that, even though I, I guess it's been a while since he has. Yeah. So interesting guy in, you know, good kind of breakdown on him. Cause I know, I know he's been, you know, trendy in, in the fantasy Twitter, uh, streets of late, anything else to, to take a gander at for, from this game before we head on over to Sunday? Um, I, uh, it, it'll be interesting, I guess, to see, yeah, what Stevenson can do with, with, just like the whole burden falling on him and then he's probably going to be pretty gassed by the end of this one. But yeah, I like the Patriots kind of like you, I, not to speak too much on your behalf, but I, I think the Patriots defense is really finding its stride. And, and that just as importantly, maybe more importantly than anything we've said about this game, Josh Allen's elbow looks screwed up to me. He's not making the right, he's not making the throws like he used to. And he's, he's like straining to make throws that he normally would just kind of make like, while you know, just he'd rail gun it through some guy like 30 yards downfield while yawning. And in the Detroit game, he'd, he'd like, he was, he was waiting on that digs play over the post over the middle. And he was like bracing to, to throw this like 20 yard pass. And it didn't even have the zip that it normally did. So I'm concerned that his elbow is screwed up. And I, I have no idea what, what his prospects of like improving week to week might be. No, he, they, they should have sent the bills to, uh, to Germany and he could have had one of those crazy procedures done uh, to, to get, get the elbow right but either way um yeah i'm i'm on the patriots here i think that this this becomes a, a real you know grind it out type of win or not maybe not win but I, I think they keep this to a field goal or less which again is right within the spread so give me the pats all right before we move on over to sunday got a quick message from our friends over at blue wire we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. All right, Sunday, we'll kick things off here in Atlanta. We got the Steelers facing off against the Falcons. Uh, th- this one, it, the the books are kind of split, which is pretty interesting. Um, it, it, at some places, I, I believe FanDuel, uh, they have the Falcons as a one-and-a-half-point dog. At DraftKings, they have the Steelers as a one point dog. So that so you usually don't see that big of a, of a differential between those two major sports books. Uh, you know, some, some places will be a little bit different one way or the other, but they, they tend to be closer in lockstep. So that, that to me is pretty interesting. It makes this one a little bit tougher to, to get a read on. My initial lean is to take, or is to go with the Falcons in the points. So if you can find it again, Falcons plus one, plus one and a half, that's, my lean here, but the Falcons obviously have not been good at covering uh, basically since week six. I, I keep harping on that. But then, of course, the the Steelers short week, ugly game Monday night against Indianapolis. But, you know, the, the, the defense showed up. Uh, but I don't know. Like, what do you make of the Steelers right now? They're not good, um, but they have a few great players and the coach. I think is the best in the NFL or close to it. So they're dangerous. Uh, even if you're a good team, you have to take the Steelers pretty seriously. I guess I just don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know the effect of the short week. At least it's like a Monday Sunday thing, and uh, I don't know, not not like not like a, as short of a week as it could have been. And the Falcons, I don't know. I mean, 
think Arthur Smith was doing some good stuff to start the year. It's it's possible that he's still doing about the best possible that they can do with what they have. But uh, the tricks are getting, you know, figured out. And, and at the very least, they need to come up with something new. It seems to me like it, it's obvious enough. They need to get Corderell Patterson going as a pass catcher the way they did last year. And I assume that the reason that they haven't is because of structural things, you know, setting up structural details to suit Mariota as an off-tackle rush threat, especially. I think there must be something to do with that being at the expense of setting up Corderell Patterson as a pass catcher the way they did last year. But they got to do it, especially without Pitts. Like, what are you – why are you turning Corderell Patterson into a rushing specialist anyway? If anything – give them like five carries and give all those, make all those other snaps be routes. You know, even if, even if he's that wide receiver, like as a wide receiver, Cordell Patterson is probably better than, you know, maybe not Zacchaeus, but whoever the third one is. So Cordero Hodge or something is like the, Arthur's got to get his personnel used in, in the way that suits their abilities. Cause right now he's not. And uh, the Steelers don't have any such issues. Like they don't have, they don't have like, an inability to answer the question of like, what are we even trying to do here anymore? You know, like they, they know they got limitations, but it's easy enough to work within them. Whereas the Falcons, they're just kind of like, uh, call a halfback dive with Huntley again. I hope that works. Um, <laughs> and it's like, it works when you have the defense scared to death of Kyle Pitts and you established the off tackle threat with Mariota a couple times. And the defense has to think and wonder before the snap, like what, what are they doing here? They're they going to do that is the quarterback going to run off tackle again? And then it turns into a Huntley dive and you're not quite ready for it. Like that, that element of deception is just gone now. And now you just have a collection of like bad players. And uh, I, so for that reason, I'm kind of leaning toward the Steelers, but yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like it's because I think they're good. Or even to say that I think Arthur Smith is down for the count. I think generally a guy like him is going to come back with something. I just don't know how quickly he can do it, especially with personnel like this. And especially with no pits out there. To, to be the first and second concern of the defense. And, you know, as far as how the, the Steelers offense matches up against the Falcons defense, you know, the, the Falcons past defense has been a weak point uh, for, for the bulk of the season. The Steelers obviously have been unable to run the ball against basically anyone that they're going against. I, I think that the Falcons should be able to kind of shut down that, that facet of the game for Pittsburgh. But at the same time, you know, even if Pickett is, limited as as we know him to be is there enough there with with these Steelers pass catchers to where we we feel like there there could be some success with with you know with Fryermuth with with Pickens with with Deontay Johnson yeah I mean I think the Falcons defense is not very good like I, I know there's some like DVOA or something was saying that their run defense is good but I don't think it is it's just like they they have a good defensive coordinator. I'll say that. Like I think Dean Pease is doing a pretty good job, but they just have no talent. And uh, you look at their their schedule. It's like who did they who did they even face? Who was a good running team? I guess they faced like Penny and Chubb back in week three and week four. But other than that, um, I don't know. You got and they Panthers. won that game, right? It's like you got Panthers two times. You got the Rams in week two. You got uh, Saints in week one. I don't know. I, I think I think the Falcons' defense, as as you look at their box score, it's like a they've overachieved to some extent, and that that's going to dwindle with time as their personnel uh, basically can't be hidden as well. I, I do worry about. I, I wish Najee Harris were fully healthy for this game for for the Steelers' uh, perspective. I wish he was because an oblique uh, that that keeping him out 
or rather like an oblique in addition to, especially if his foot is only like 90%. It's like, that just seems like he can't play. And uh, I definitely subscribe to the idea that Najee Harris is still very clearly the best Steelers running back. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, Jalen Warren is going to be back, but I don't really care. I think Warren's totally interchanged. I, I still think Anthony McFarland is their best backup running back. So I was kind of glad to see him get some work. Yeah, but, I saw that. He's only done a pretty good job. I don't understand why it's so hard to get a, a fast guy who who finds the field, just get on the ball, like just, just hand on the ball. But they, they just uh, their offensive line is so putrid for the for the most part. It's just like it's hard to to get much going when when you know that they, they got five turnstiles going. That's true, and um, yeah, Pickett is really bad. I, and I don't. I guess part of the way that the Falcons could just take this game is from Pickett alone, kind of melting melting down. And I think he's kind of due for that eventually. But he did play well, about as well as he can against the Colts. It's just kind of funny to me because, yeah, it occurred to me too when I was watching. I was like, hey, wow, Pickett looks better than he did in the other games. And what box score does he get it get for you? Uh, 160 yards and just like uh, 6.7 yards a pass or something like that severely lowered expectations for a first round quarterback when we're, we're like, Oh, that's, that's a good job. I pick it. Just get it. He's approaching 200 yards yet again, folks. And yeah, he's, like, he's basically getting a, like a rookie year Davis mills narrative. Like, Oh, shucks. Look at him. Look at him do his best. Yeah. It's, he's a he's, first round pick. <laughs> he's going to be 25 in like six months. And these people are acting like, Hey, he's, he's really building something. He's, He's a backup. I'm sorry, but uh, Mariota's a backup too. So yeah. I, I guess we'll uh, we'll see who sucks the most. It, <laughs> I'm not gonna say what I want to say is the title for this game, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll keep going. But you you know what I'm thinking. Um, anyway, uh, we do have a question from uh, Rollo. Wants to know they're gonna go ahead and scoop uh, the Tennessee defense. Uh, for the playoffs, would you drop Kadarius Tony or DPJ? See, that's tough because I I am in team. Try not to cut Tony if you don't have to. But Donovan Peoples Jones has done a pretty good job all year, and truly, actually, his whole career. And now he gets Deshaun Watson at quarterback. So that that's exactly what my thinking was. Like this offense is about to look a lot different. It might not look. Uh, you know, perfectly it would, crisp. It would be funny if, if Watson does like a, the sex predator version of the Vanderjacked yips and he like comes back and he just doesn't remember how to play and oh. no one, no one can figure out why, but more likely uh, evil continues to uh, conquer humanity and run the world. And Deshaun Watson's probably going to throw for like 20 touchdowns. Yep. That's just what, what we freaking, yeah, that's what we got. Um, before we move on over to our next game, we got a message from our friends over at No House Advantage. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Playing pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning big cash prizes. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars every week. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20x your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player prop over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now 
with promo code N-H-A-Wire. That's N-H-A-W-I-R-E at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. All right, keeping things going here, we've got uh, we've got the Ravens versus the Broncos. Mario, what's going on? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I thought that the Ravens would take care of the Jaguars because the Jaguars aren't a good team, and I thought... Yeah, sure. Greg Roman's just about the worst ever, but the, the Jags can't. Please, please the... take the Stanford job, Greg Roman. I am begging you. I will help you pack. Greg, Stanford needs you. Go help them. Help yes. them, Greg. Save, save Stanford. Um, I'm only looking out for you and Stanford's interest, Greg's. Greg. Right. Um, I think. Uh, I don't know. I'm. I'm actually really sick of talking about the guy. He sucks. I. I hate his offense so much. Um, I, I hate him for refusing to change it. Uh, I, I can't help it. So, uh, anyway, I, I, I don't know what I can trust the Ravens with. I think it was very little that I trusted them with in the first place. You know, it's not like I was, I didn't put money on, I, I can't bet in Wisconsin, but if I could have, I wouldn't have put money on the Ravens or anything. I, I didn't trust them that much, but I was uh, in Maryland and I did. Whoops. Oh man. Well, to be fair. Okay. So. I know the general narrative here is going to be like the Ravens defense sucks. I don't think that's quite it. I think, you know, Marcus Peters, that was, it was probably ill-conceived depending on him, the way they did. Brandon Stevens is going to be good. It seems like he needs more time still, but more than those two having limitations, that Houston corner that they drafted in the fourth round, he's just no good in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was a stupid pick said. So at the time it was obvious, but um, I think, that game for the Ravens, as it relates to the Ravens defense, it had more to do with Trevor Lawrence than it, than yes. it had anything to say about the, the, the Ravens defense. Cause like, I thought that the Jags would blow it because while I, I always believe Trevor Lawrence would eventually get to a point where he's, you know, just truly fearsome. I didn't think it would be this week. I thought he needed more help. I thought he needed another year or something to get there. Whereas it seems like at the Ravens' expense, Trevor Lawrence kind of tapped into another level in that game. And yeah, like was that might have, second, yeah, that might have been, you know, and you, again, you can never predict the moment. And sometimes it doesn't matter who the opponent is. When a great quarterback arrives, there's just not a whole lot you can do about it. Yeah. And I, I think that game might have finally helped the, the, the skeptics, the the people who didn't believe in Lawrence, I think they they can watch that and suddenly see why the truthers had been holding out. It's like he all along has done things that just very few te- very few quarterbacks can do, even when he was struggling. So it's like if he starts to iron out the rough parts of his game, he he'll just go from kind of like ugly to unstoppable. And not to say he's going to stay there permanently, but the Ravens they really got the worst of that turn in his development. And it's such that I don't even know if they, I don't know, as much as I'm blaming Roman, you know, I don't know if there was anything the defense could have done about that. Like well, the, the there offense was, should have done more, but the defense I think might've been helpless against quarterback play like that. And there was also a sequence that really kind of turned the game where du- DuVernay had the ill-advised uh, return. He gets stopped at like the six yard line or something. And uh, Gus Edwards gets stripped on, on his kit. He gets some, some running room and uh, the, the safety, uh, perfectly timed uh, strip from behind rips the ball out 
and you know the game turns on its face whereas the ravens could have you know had a clock bleeding drive and that game ends a whole lot differently but that sequence really was a key component in that one but as it comes to to this game it, so i can't trust them to, in eight and a half points no absolutely oh no way i can't trust them with like two no. um it, like yeah, the so the I, Panthers game, that that I think you can just run that game on the on the live broadcast and it will look almost the exact same. Yeah, so I'm I'm picking the Ravens, I guess. Don't get me wrong. I don't have. The, I'm not gonna pick. Maybe if it was in Denver, I'd say Hackett gets his win. When are they gonna fire this idiot? By the way, I mean, God, how if they had like if they were scoring like 18 points per game, they'd be like six and three or something. <laughs> or sorry, uh, they'd, they'd have like a, some kind of winning record. But because they average like 15 points per game and have like the a top five uh, scoring defense, they're still just uh, three and whatever the hell they are, um, three and eight. So yeah, Denver is insanely bad, and I, I am enjoying watching Greg Dulcich fail. I'm sorry, it's so funny because. Uh, Outside of those two busted coverages, he's just done nothing. And Nate Hackett, George Baton, really were pinning their entire theory of a team on this this one uh, former walk-on rookie from UCLA. Very funny. I I, I I am eager to see how bad they can make this get. Um, as long I, I would like to see uh you know the, the Ravens secondary does screw up assignments. So to be serious, Dulcich is is not bad. He could do something here, but until Hackett realizes he can't run whatever his offense is with a quarterback like Russell Wilson to be fair to Wilson. You know, that's, that's, that's kind of bad coaching. That's not accounting for his limitations. Like he can't run more than a few plays. So adjust or prepare to watch him, you know, totally just face plant, which he has done almost start to finish every single game this year. And I don't know how you can expect that to change. So I take the Ravens, but, uh, I need a defensive touchdown for them to cover. Like I, I don't, I think Greg Roman is so profoundly hindering to an offense. Uh, when even if you had good personnel, but when you're when you're running like thirty routes with Demarcus Robinson and and another uh, twenty to like James Prochet or something, this this sucks. This cannot be good. It's going to be bad. Even if Greg Roman were good, which he's the opposite of. So we'll we'll see if Isaiah Likely and Kyle Hamilton can get back this week. Oh, right. Now, um, Hamilton's hurt, yeah. Yeah, Hamilton missing last week, I, th- I think. It, oddly enough, I've really changed my tune on him over, over the last month or so. He's really had, had started to come on. He's a good rover. He can't run downfield, but just don't put him there's, in that situation. Yeah, there, there's use for him if you if you plug him into the right spot. And, uh, you know, at not having him, uh, Marcus Williams, their big free agent signing uh, of the offseason, his wrist injury, him being out, I think is certainly he not back helped. soon. He's supposed to be back, isn't he? Like, yeah, soon? it's, it's getting close. Um, so that Man. they could, yeah, and the defense had been, things. the defense had been playing well before last week, but, um, obviously last week was tough. So I I'm taking this one to you be know, like, John, a, we might see him pop. I haven't, I haven't done a search for his name, but he's been practicing for, uh, almost a week and a half now. So, that would be a really that would almost explain the spread to me if they're like ta-da Marcus Williams is back I'd be like hmm maybe we are going to get that touchdown. So yeah, I, I give me twenty to thirteen as the final score in this one in favor of the Ravens. So that is an under and the Ravens not covering. Seventeen ten, John Broncos cover. All right, so we're 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 in lockstep there. Seven point win. 
Um, let's hit on the Bears versus the Packers. Uh, the Pack favored by four and a half to five and a half, depending on what book you're looking at. Um, so that that seems to suggest that we're going to have Aaron Rodgers back. I think things have been trending in that direction. And Fields, he might play, but you got to be concerned about you know his ability to stay upright for this one with that shoulder injury. Yeah, that is concerning. I, I, uh, you know, dislocated shoulder. I didn't even realize that was what it was uh, when it first happened. So dislocated shoulder, even if it's on the non-throwing shoulder, especially as a running quarterback, that's yeah, tough to manage. So I don't know. The Packers are such screw ups and going, going to Chicago. I, I have to believe as much as Rogers has had success there, that it's, it's still not where they'd like to be right now. So, uh, I don't know what a fair expectation is of the Bears offense, but I, I will say I would like the Packers offense more if Jordan Love were allowed to play. It's kind of like it's I, I bet if, if Jordan Love hadn't thrown that touchdown off the bench that Rodgers would be quicker to be like, I'm hurt, guys. My hand, my, hand, my thumb, my thumb and my ribs are hurting so much. But when he saw Jordan Love had that little bit of success, he was just like, I can't let this happen. So he's no. he's going to play even if he needs to take like, you know, a, a an almost lethal dose of opiates to withstand the pain. He's going to do it, and he'll probably win. It'll probably be fine. I mean, the Bears' defense is a mess. The Packers yep. should be able to lean on the run game if necessary, um, so that they should be fine. But yeah, I, it it's just it should be Jordan Love's start. It, yeah, we're we're reaching that point. Um, I, I think I forget if this was offline or if you had tweeted it, um, but. You know, when it comes to the Packers, you know, the season is lost at, at this yeah. point. And they're correct me if I'm wrong, but there's basically no penalty if they trade him next se- during the offseason. If they so if they designate Rodgers as a post June 1st trade, don't don't ask me why. I don't know why, how, why the difference is so much. They save something like one point five million on the 2023 cap and then you know, quite a lot more each subsequent year. But if they cut him, then they have to eat like 55 million in two years. And I have no idea why it's so much of a difference. I don't think it's as simple as like the other team eating the guaranteed money, because I feel like that's something you have to negotiate in the trade terms. I don't see why that would be like a given outcome of a trade. But uh, yeah, the Packers do have the ability to trade Rodgers after this year. And I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's why the Broncos still haven't fired Hackett. Maybe they're maybe they're going to try to do it two years in a row. Have Hackett as a head coach just to see if they can get Aaron Rodgers in a trade. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I but they. I think the Packers. I don't know. They. I, I know Jordan Love is probably still bad, but this this is this is a player in my opinion, Rodgers. That they just they, if they can trade him next off season, they should really do it because. Uh, they've already played their hand, hand poorly. If they somehow get like a first round pick or more to, to do a too late rebuild, that's still better than any alternative they have. Uh, here, here's a little bit more food for thought. Do you think that they want to kind of um, put what Jordan Love did on Sunday just in amber and just not see him the rest of the season and, and use that as a selling point to move him? 
Uh, didn't is he not a free agent after this year, uh, or is it next year? That's the last year because they declined the option. I thought. Um, oh, okay, true. But I, I, I've, I've lost track of time. I can't even remember how long he's been on the Packers. But uh, I, I think um, if they trade Rodgers and if they don't, so it's been twenty twenty one twenty. Okay, so yeah, they get him for next year either way. Um, I don't know why they would keep it under wraps. You know, I, I, I think it, they're going to hurt Rogers' trade value by letting him play hurt, and they're going to make it harder on themselves to evaluate Love. But almost every single thing the Packers do from an administrative uh, perspective, I, I don't understand at all. I don't understand why they keep hiring the defensive coordinators that they do. I don't understand any of their thinking in the draft or free agency. So because it makes less sense to me to force Rogers on the field hurt uh, for whatever reason, I, I guess history says that I'm probably the exact opposite of what they're going to do. Yeah, the the defensive coordinator thing, uh, rough. Barry is just, oh man, it's awful. They also like can't figure out special teams. Yeah, uh, Lafleur. I, I think Lafleur is a really good play caller, and he should be a good coach overall. But he seems downright like just, just uh, like delinquent or neglectful or something like he just doesn't pay attention to the defense or the special teams at all it's like dude you really should you should care about that as a head coach you should worry about those two other things like remember remember when you had a team that probably should have won the super bowl last year and uh you let the san francisco 49ers block a punt in your house to beat you yeah that was cool remember that but yeah he's he's like it sounds like the floor really thinks like oh we're we're fine. We don't, Barry's Barry's good at this. It's good. It's fine. Not a big deal. He he is not. He is not. Figure it out, Packers. Um. All right. Let's keep it rolling. Uh. We got Lions playing host to the Jaguars. Uh, another game with, with split action at BetMGM. The Lions are one point underdog, and the at FanDuel, the Jaguars a one point underdog. I'm totally smitten by what I saw from Trevor Lawrence last week, even oh, if it, yeah. it it pains me. Uh, to to see what I saw, uh, man. I mean, been a huge fan of his since his freshman year at Clemson. Uh, he was a legendary recruit. It's not surprising that he's figuring it out. It's kind of amazing though that that he's doing so with Dude, the, like, the ingredient. Sorry to interrupt. We're like three weeks removed from uh, uh, David Carr's quarterback rankings of the, like redrafting the 2021 class, and they have like Lawrence going after Davis Mills and. There's all the, there's a bunch of uh, dopey analysts who were who were putting uh, a big like Trevor Lawrence might be pretty bad, you guys. Like why why do these people who have been they know they've been watching football for less than five years like why do they keep sticking their necks out like that? Do they not know that they're sticking their neck out when they when they make these just ridiculous statements about uh, quarterback prospects after insignificant sample uh, evaluation samples? They just they just want to make these declarations based on like just minuscule data. And so, so they end up saying ridiculous things like, I can't tell who's better between Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. It's, it's, it's objectively, it's hard to tell. It's like, well, I could, a lot of it, anybody who turned on the tape could tell you. Trevor Lawrence has something these other quarterbacks don't. And it's, it's not, it's not easily explained, I'll admit, because it, he doesn't look like any other quarterback. You know, he's like, he's the first of his type. So you, you can't point toward some clean bit of tape to make it easily understood. But with Lawrence, it's not so much he doesn't have like the Josh Allen cannon arm. He has like a very good arm, and it's like practically speaking, it's it's very useful because he's he puts zip on it with like quick release and stuff. So it's like maybe he can't put the ball through a brick wall like Allen, but he he's really good at making like slicing 
throws, you know, like things that just they cut through the defense uh, however he needs to do it. And he, it's it's hard to put this into words exactly, but he, he makes these like really ambitious setups to his throws that other quarterbacks can't think of and can't execute even if they could. And by that, I mean, like, there will be some throw that can only be made if he gets to, like, you know, four yards to his left or his right. And given the way that the defense is applying pressure, it, it's it's like no one can really get to that spot, but he can, and he, he can do these just like quick hops and, and set up a new base to throw and, and kind of like, he, he, he can just set it up so quickly and, and on the run and, and uh, not just on the run. It's like, there's, there's just, he almost kind of like just teleports to a spot and then makes like a really quick throw that would be entirely impossible with any other quarterback. And I, I think people are going to see quickly why, you know, he, he's the one who can, who can actually catch up to guys. Not that, it, not that he's going to be better than any of them, but he can at least get in the conversation with guys like Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, whoever you consider to be the best quarterbacks otherwise. And Herbert, uh, I meant to say. So, yeah, like those three quarterbacks, he's going to be number four soon. Like he mm-hmm. might, it might have already happened. Yes. So, so, uh, my best ball shares, my best ball portfolio is, is about to be happy as we, Frank as we Balky hit this is the main stretch. Threat. We got to get that idiot out of Jacksonville so they can get uh, a non Marvin Jones receiver on the other side. Like I know that Calvin Ridley's coming in, but like they got to do better than Zay Jones even still. And, and Trent Balky is going to, he's, he's going to waste every pick that they get from this point. The guy's just a menace. Yeah, de- death by Zay Jones last week was it was not uh, that something was crazy. that I was expecting. Did you notice that they've benched Devin Lloyd, who they traded up in the first round to get? Sorry, I'm going on a bul- quick bulky. They traded up to take Devin Lloyd, and now they had to bench him. They had to bench him for a third rounder from Wyoming named Chad Muma. Who, he could be good, but Devin Lloyd is like a 24-year-old rookie. He's too raw to play. He's he's old, too old to develop. It's just dust, and then they're bulky. He's, he's just burning these picks up, just, just setting them aflame. You know that that's something that like you know the the Gruden draft strategy would would like shed shed a tear of of happiness to see just complete unforced error in the first round sign us up unbelievable anyway maybe Trevor can transcend the circumstances hopefully he does perhaps uh, in perhaps. this game uh, sorry I meant to say in this game uh, because it's at Detroit I think Jared Goff could be good goof in this game mm-hmm. he could be the ungoof and. Uh, it's it would be very Trevor, very Jags to have like a, a letdown game here. Uh, now that he might be chalky or something, but mm-hmm. it shouldn't happen. He he should keep it rolling, and, and it might be a proper shootout if if we get Goff instead of Goof. Yeah, we get a pretty high number in this one. We're looking at fifty one and a half over at DraftKings. So I mean that, that I could definitely see this going over because yeah, I, mean, I don't think that the Jaguars defense is. Jags defense still sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and the Lions at home, they can definitely put up some points. So this should be fun. Uh, any other commentary on on this uh, Lions offense beyond uh, the the goof versus golf? Uh, I should have conundrum. looked this up. Is Jameson Williams any closer to playing? Uh, I know he's in I, practice. Right. I'm I'm not sure if he's quite okay. ready to well, go. It's, it's going to be interesting. He's just someone to watch. I don't think you want to play him, even if he does show up this year, because. Uh, the goof limitation is in effect, but that would be, I'm, I'm pretty eager to see him whenever he's ready to go. Yes. And w- when they have a quarterback that can throw it down the field, that's going to be, true. yeah, there, there's a reason why we were so high on Jamison Williams, uh, you know, pre injury last year and why pre-golf. you should still be high on him. Um, yeah. move, move forward. Um, let's go. 
on over. We've got the Jets versus the Vikings. Uh, Vikes, three-point favorites in this one at home. They you know, were able to, to quickly rinse off the, the shellacking that they took at the hands of the Cowboys and, and get a win on Thanksgiving night. They play host to a Jets team that made the much-needed uh, switch at, at quarterback. It's not to say that Mike White is the answer, but maybe we know for a fact that Zach Wilson is not. Um, so that that's about where I'm at with it. If uh, a l- little uh, fantasy corner here, uh, we're we're going all over the place as per usual. But if you played in normal season long, so not best ball, I know that you've mostly moved your your assets to the best ball realm. Would you have had any, any interest in one Zonovan Knight this week on waivers? No, uh, I don't. Feel granted, I don't know what's going. It, it's it's not good for James Robinson that the Jets scratched him in that game. Uh, I don't know. It's possible that they did that slightly to keep that pick from turning into a fifth rounder because there's something like if uh, James Robinson gets 180 yards, it turns from a sixth to a fifth, and now he's kind of hard pressed to get there. But uh, the main thing is it's not even night. Uh, is just not a serious prospect to me. Like the way I, I look at things like he was a totally good college player, but a, am I missing a year? He was not a workhorse at North Carolina state. Was he, he like rotated with Ricky persons or whatever. Right. They, they had kind of a deep rotation, but I, I thought, you know, both of them, uh, it would have been mismanaged yeah. allocations. If you're NC state to not play both of them, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just that if Zonovan Knight is good enough to be actually better than players like Michael Carter and James Robinson, or Ty Johnson for that matter, I need him to displace those other North Carolina State non-prospects more than he did, or I need him to test well athletically, and Knight is both small for a running back and not fast. Like, he might not be properly slow, but for his size, he is. So there's, there's volume limitations. He has no speed, no explosiveness. I don't like shiftiness, I guess, must explain his production because he's not running anyone over. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think there's anything there. Like Ty Johnson is better than him. Michael Carter is better than him. One game blip in a, in a goofy, non-competitive game doesn't change that for me. Okay, good to know. I, I needed a, a sobering take on that one, but... Uh... But what if I told I mean, wish you? Wish him luck. It's a it's a kind of fringe prospect. It's easy to root for, but he's more likely to be on a practice squad in a month than uh, starting for the Jets. Okay, but what if we called him Bam Knight, which I believe was was his nickname? Does that change anything for you? Uh no. I think you got to be a either an improbably short and stocky running back or a big. Fatso, if you want to be like Bam Morris from the. Yeah, I was about to 90s. say, do you remember Bam Morris? <laughs> I do remember Bam Morris. Yeah, he was. Uh, people loved him because his name was Bam. Yeah, and I, I knew you would, and that's what that's why I liked him as a kid. I'm like, wow, his name is a Bam. That's sweet. Um, but as it all Bam and Slash. Oh man, give me yeah. I mean, that was that was a golden age. Um, but as it all pertains to this game, uh, you know. I think it's easy to draw the parallel when it comes to the Mike White led Jets, where it's like, okay, he can rise up for one game, kind of sneak attack and have a good game like the one he did against the Bengals or or the one he did against the Bears last week. Although the Bears defense, even worse uh, than what the Bengals were rolling with at that point of last season. 
is he able to continue it? Because he he obviously you kind of petered out with that four interception performance later on in in 2021. Um, what can he do in this spot? Uh, and you know the numbers were promising in in the box score, but I saw that his average depth of throw was like less than six yards at the same time, which which helps a guy like Elijah Moore a little bit. But at the same they time, play like, him, but they uh, so like the it was good to see Elijah Moore do what we always had very solid basis for believing he could do if they Mm -hmm. gave him the opportunity, which they uh, felt the need to deny him for whatever great reason they have. But uh, even last week, they still were screwing around with Elijah Moore's playing time. Like he still only played 21 snaps. Denzel Mims played 18. Braxton Berrios, good enough player, whatever. He, he, He could be useful for some other team. But they keep jamming Braxton Berrios onto the field and giving him reps that need to go to Moore. Like, I don't care what reason they think they have for this. Like, either Moore is such a, a malcontent issue that you can't have him active on game day, or he is so much more talented than Barrios that on the basis of merit, Barrios doesn't play anymore. But they're doing this thing where they're like, oh, we just think Barrios is so good. We got to get Barrios the ball. Every single time you give Barrios the ball, you are taking willingly a lesser return than what Moore would give you. You're not good enough as a team to be doing that. You're not half as good as you need to be to be that arrogant to just say like, well, we'll just we'll just take these you know non-competitive reps because because we just we just wanna like they don't they don't even try to do justify it. There's no way to justify it. It's just Braxton, Braxton Berrios is a backup slot receiver. You let him play when your starting guy can't. That's it. When Elijah Moore gets to 45 snaps and needs a breather, put in Berrios. If it's 20 snaps, no, he, he cannot see the field. Or you're you're risking at the very least, you know, serious regression from a rep that you can't really afford it. Now with the offense like they have, so yeah, I liked Mike White last week, and he's still way better than Zach Wilson. Like whatever whatever regression is awaiting him, however harsh it might be, it's always going to be worse with Wilson. But you're right, the low depth of target is concerning. As much as as much as Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson can give him yardage after the catch, and probably will. The defense is going to notice you're not getting the ball past whatever depth, or that to throw it past whatever depth you have to make it a, a you know a duck that easily gets shot out of the sky, like those kinds of things they'll see and they'll start creeping up. They'll start making the field smaller on you from within the parameters that you can actually threaten, and they're not just going to defend the end zone when it's Mike White out there. There's no reason to. So the field is going to get smaller on him, and I do worry about it at that point because as much as he's a fun player and easy to root for. Mike White was, uh, what was it? He had like one pretty good, uh, one pretty good year at Western Kentucky or two, where he was still mm-hmm. well below the standards of like uh, Brandon Doty, Brandon Bailey Zappi, yep. So uh, Nelson Fishback, even or whatever. Oh <laughs> wow! Yeah, Nelson. You never forget Nelson Fishback once you mm-hmm. uh, do Nelson Fishback projections. Um, and then before that, Mike White was like the QB three for three years at South uh, South Florida. So. He has no real tools. His production in college wasn't very good. He's better than Zach Wilson right now. And that's all you can really say about him. And it's just not saying much at all. Yeah. So, but, but it's a, it's a ticking time bomb for, for when he regresses. Does it happen this week in Minnesota though? Uh, is it Ed Donatello who's their coordinator? I can't remember. They're doing a pretty good job on defense. Like looking at their box scores, they've been up. I almost would have thought, this is a Mike Zimmer team, so uh, specifically because of the defensive backs. 
uh, not to say, not to make, not to make Cam Dantzler or Patrick Peterson sound like they're pushovers or something, but like Peterson had a good three years where he was struggling a lot, and this year he's doing a lot better. Cam Dantzler runs like a four six five, even though he's like one hundred and eighty pounds at six foot two, but they're getting good results. Some of that's the pass rush. The pass rush speaks for itself, but some of that's got to be pretty decent coaching too. So maybe, maybe Donatel. I'm just, I'm just making, I'm just making him the defensive coordinator in my. Okay, that works. Uh, yeah, if he's scouting this well, if he's scouting Mike White well, and he's noticing where they're getting Garrett Wilson the ball, he's gonna say, "Hey guys, we're gonna sit on these areas, and we're pretty sure Hunter or Smith is gonna get to Mike White before he can uh, try to pull any shenanigans to get out of it." And I think that's what's going to happen. It's like Mike White's going to see something. He's going to he's going to see, uh, you know, dollar signs in his eyes are, are going to pop out, and there's going to be someone waiting that he doesn't see that's going to jump right in front of it. Uh, so yeah, you worry about a guy like Mike White, you know, pretty pretty aggressive quarterback, I guess you'd say. Like he's 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 pretty fearless, but he doesn't have the throwing velocity. He doesn't have accuracy. There's no reason to think he's good at reading defenses. It could get pretty rough for him here. Yep. So I, 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 in my picks column, I just kind of figured that maybe there's enough on this Jets team, uh, the outside of the quarterback to where even replacement level quarterback play can, can get a win in this spot. But I'm starting to, to think that there's the potential for the meltdown spot for Mike White and therefore the Jets would be cooked, uh, in that instance. I think the Vikings are still in danger too, just because uh, Cousins could have his own meltdown on the other side. Right. Uh, so, so I think Mike White can win this game. I just think he's gonna have, you know, kind of he's gonna be dependent on Wilson getting him yards after the catch for whatever he gets, and there might be two, three, four ugly turnovers. Yeah. So I'm I'm con- concerned about it from from both sides. I think that, uh, you know, we're looking at a total at forty four and a half under yeah i think this might might go under and i think that 20 would to tw- 20 to 13 or something like that i don't know 20 to 14 i think, it, I think a lower scoring game probably favors the jets no oh i don't know yeah i have no idea i mean i i think every scenario favors the vikings a little bit just because cousins is probably you know i'm not a huge cousin fan or anything but he's probably a lot better than mike white and the vikings yeah. have the Vikings don't have a, a defense as good as the Jets, but it's still pretty good. Uh, it might be better versus Mike White than the Jets' defense versus Cousins. So, I, I think I think the Vikings have the advantage here. I just don't see how short of a defensive touchdown or short of you know starting a couple drives way deep in Jets territory. I don't know how they really get safe at any point. Okay, all right. So th- this one, yeah, could be like a, a little bit of a back and forth. Uh, I'm. See, like among those early window games, I think I might be the most interested in this one other than than Titans Eagles, which we're going to get to uh, here in a second. But let's hop on over to Commanders Giants. We've got Commanders two and a half point favorites on the road in this spot against the Giants. I don't think the Giants have have played particularly well of late. I think that they've the regression that we kind of thought was going to happen when they got out to that hot start. It's starting to. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, a, a backdoor push against the, the Cowboys and losing at home by a pretty big margin to the, to the Lions really says that they're going in the right direction necessarily right now. And I I don't know. I 
I like the way that the commanders are playing. Like may, maybe it's maybe I'm just a little bit uh, too much Heineke Kool Aid. Maybe I spent a little bit too much time in the DC area last week. But whatever it is, man, I'm I'm taking I'm taking Washington in this one, and I'm not really thinking twice about it. Yeah, I guess if uh, if Washington's turn for you know the recent success has has clear causes, I would say it's the defense is playing quite a bit better, and I'm. Not really sure why. Uh, I, I haven't paid close enough attention to know if they're doing anything differently. Like I don't know if Jack Del Rio is calling something different or if they it's needed more to get like, saved at the end last week. I'll say that. Yeah, and it's uh, the the offensive uh, the defensive line is the main asset that they have, and so I'm generally going to chalk up any success they have to that. But uh, they have they have gotten much better results overall. I just think it can't last, especially for defending the pass because uh, they're starting Kendall Fuller. He's, he's, he's pretty good. I think, I, I guess I've seen varying takes on how good he is. I think he's all right. Uh, Bobby McCain, this, this other guy that they're starting. And I know St. Juice is going to be back eventually, but I think he's, he's awful. If, if I was, if I was calling an offense, I could get four defensive pass interferences a game on that guy. Uh, and that's going to be a problem for him eventually because he just he's just he's just a tunnel vision chaser at corner. He can't he doesn't know what's going on in the field. Uh, and McCain's like a a backup free safety slot corner tweener. So I think those guys are going to get beat again. I think they're, they've been hidden this this long. But of course, uh, you wouldn't really expect Daniel Jones to be the quarterback to really make them pay for whatever limitations they might have. So yeah, Washington could keep it going in this game. Um, I, I obviously don't think Brian Robinson is good, so uh, that he had a, a good game last week doesn't change anything for me. He basically had the game that I expected him to have against the Texans that he didn't. So I've been planning for this. He still only is at 3.7 yards per carry, and there's a couple fluky runs that got him past uh, 10 yards a couple times. So I still think that's going to keep going downward, and I think defenses are going to notice more and more that he's um, tipping off various play uh, tendencies with his presence which actually could be a big problem. That's it's definitely the Giants defense that I, that I wonder about if they're going to step up and, and maybe um, help the Giants offense. Cause the Giants offense, it's like if Saquon doesn't do heroics, they, they don't really have that much going for them. Slayton can make a big play some, here and there, but he's not a volume guy, even in theory. But the, I think uh, Wink Martindale could be the kind of guy that the, the, uh, the Washington needs to be very careful with here because as much as I like Heineke, he he is like a bit of a risk taker sometimes. And he, he's, I meant to say before, the second reason they're getting better is because Heineke, unlike Wentz, is smart enough to know his limitations. And he knows that the way he limits his negative effect on the game is by just forcing the ball to Terry McLaurin. Uh, you just Good get idea. the ball to the best player. Um, so that's that's smart on his part. And it's why part of why he's better than Wentz. But do you know offhand if he's been good against the Blitz? Because that, that's obviously know. like a big Wink, Wink Martindale special. Right. Just the blitz and the disguised coverage. Like he's going to, he might even get you thinking before the snap that you know what it is and you might feel comfortable even though there's a blitz showing here or there. And it might, it might be like the guy that you thought was blitzing wasn't. And this guy that you thought would be in coverage is blitzing you. And you could figure it out if you had like four seconds, but you don't. You have like a, a second and a half to figure it out. And it's, it's tough to do. And, Heineke is fearless against the blitz, but he's also liable to like make a wrong read and just, you know, let it rip off of it. So 
it's a dangerous spot. It, it should be a low scoring game unless special teams or turnovers get wacky. And I'll go with the Giants just because I think Dable's still the real deal. But sure. uh, Washington probably has, I don't know, slight personnel edge. It, you know, there's no McLaurin on the Giants side, basically. No, I don't. I don't really think so either. Um, let's see here. Uh, before we get on to, oh my god. Uh, John's the internet monster attacked again. I think that's why he was distraught. Um, sorry, folks. Uh, traditionally, I have to just see if the John feed kicks back in. This might take a moment. I'll try to get a hold of him. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> Uh, sorry, folks. Uh, the reason the reason John said "oh dear" uh, at that last second there is his computer restarted on him uh, with no notice, and uh, that's always fun. Uh, I'm gonna try to talk a little bit about this Titans Eagles game. I, I think uh, John might have picked Washington. I don't know. I'll I'll say the Giants, but I'm not really eager to make any pick in that game. Um. Looking at the Titans and the Eagles, one of the more competitive games on the slate, hopefully, anyway, on paper, certainly. And uh, A.J. Brown revenge game, that that might be the the headliner here. We will see how his replacement, Trey Burks, continues to build on momentum. But uh, although the the Titans have gotten Burks going a little bit in the slot, they're going to probably put Slay on him pretty much every time he's outside. So... Uh, the more you see of Burks in the slot, the better for the for the Titans and, and Burks. Not just because uh, not just because it's a way to get get away from Slay, but it's also a way to specifically against the the slot corner, who I, I believe is still Josiah Scott. Uh, even if Avante Maddox is back, that's still a great matchup for Burks because Burks is so much bigger than those guys. But uh, Slay realistically is not letting Burks do anything when he's lined up outside, and. Presumably guys like Westbrook Akeen can't do anything reliable, nothing predictable here. So for the Titans offense, it's going to come down to, of course, Derrick Henry, whether he can get going. And they probably need a little bit more, too. They probably need, like, Cooper stepping up a little bit, which he might. He's been getting going a little bit lately. Definitely think he's got something to offer them as a pass catcher. But I don't know if, if it's realistic and indeed the spread kind of implies this at four and a half Eagles after opening at five and a half. Don't know if we can bank on the Titans getting that something else that they need. Cause it's, it's, it's either Burks or it's Hooper. And there's, there's ways both of those guys could go wrong. There's ways for Tannehill to get flustered by the Eagles pass rush. Oh, there's John. Um, is that you, John? I, I, I think so. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. There's John. Uh, yeah, so I was just saying, John, I was just kind of talking about how the, the Titans kind of need someone like Hooper or Burks to step up a little bit, and, and uh, they might, but it's it's kind of like a narrow path. Whereas with the with the Eagles, you got the, uh, the auto production from the A.J. Brown revenge game. Um, probably not running on the Titans, but Jalen Hurts can run from broken. Oh, now we got John freezing with a horrified look on his face. Maybe it restarted again. Um, John's going to 
pop up, stop in, head back out. Uh, I guess as the show goes on, but I'll just I'll just keep blithering about these games. Uh, the Eagles, I think, should be fine in this game. Four and a half points. If I if I had to call it, I'd say they cover that just because. Um, Shane Steichen is doing a really good job. The Titans defense does present certain challenges, but the main way that the Titans defense hurts you usually has something to do with Jeff Simmons ruining your day, which he could still do here, but the Eagles offensive line might be the best in the league. So while Simmons can kind of ruin anybody's day, it's probably uh, it's probably least likely to occur against the Eagles. And while the Eagles might not be able to run from their base looks for base functions, they should, if necessary, get Jalen Hurts to make the big play uh, in, in on a passing and a drop back. And Hurts otherwise should be pretty clear as a, as a passer. Like the Titans might throw some confusing looks his way, but even when he's getting stopped by the defense, it seems to me like Hurts is recognizing that he that he's that he's been blocked. He's not he's not getting caught off guard by the coverage and then also making an ill-advised throw. It's like even when he's caught off guard. He keeps it together, and uh, in this case, he'd ideally kind of look at his scrambling options. He's going to have to put that offense on his back a little bit in this one, but I think he's ready for it. I think he's shown by now that he's he's not afraid, at the very least, of, of putting the offense on his back. So it's in a way, it's going to be Jalen Hurts versus Derrick Henry. Um, I think with the Eagles having the better pass defense of the two, the home field advantage, um, certainly better offensive play calling between the two teams. I'll take I'll take the the Eagles to cover that and uh, Hertz probably has I, I think Hertz could have one of his bigger games of the year. The, the AJ Brown part seems almost automatic. I don't know what um I don't know what they can do. I don't know what the Titans can do about that and indeed most teams. Um trying to check in with John real quick for you guys. Um he he did get another phantom restart. So uh He'll be back in a little bit. Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to pick some other game. I guess, uh, see, Cleveland-Houston, what can you say? Deshaun Watson, if he doesn't have the Vanderjack yips, he's probably going to be good right away. And uh, this, he's got help. I mean, Amari Cooper's already doing a good job. And Kevin Stefanski's play calling has probably been at, at least decent this year. And the Houston defense doesn't have a whole lot going for it. I mean, I don't know if Stingley's going to be back for this game, but it probably doesn't matter whether he is. Amari Cooper's too technically proficient to, to let a rookie slow him down, or, you know, aside from maybe Sauce Gardner, he's not going to let a rookie slow him down, especially with Deshaun Watson throwing the passes now. I guess it's possible that they take a week or two to get on the same page. Like, maybe maybe it's a little hasty for me to assume Cooper gets better with with uh, Watson in, in week one than he does uh, with Brissett after working with Brissett all this time. But still love this setup for basically anyone who might get usage in the Cleveland offense, be it Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Obviously, the running backs could go nuts. Houston's run defense being as bad as it is. Kyle Allen on the other side. Um, I don't know what you can say. Did they bench him yet? They, they, should, just, they should bench him and go back to Mills. Who cares? Uh, Kyle Allen's really bad. The Cleveland defense has its issues, especially against the run, and I'd say their their pass defense isn't as good as it should could be. But I just don't know if that matters against Kyle Allen. Just just doesn't he's he just isn't good enough to play. So uh, Damian Pierce might be able to the rookie wall kind of 
fell on him the past couple of weeks. Some of that has to do with really bad matchups, though, and this matchup is, uh, scoring trajectory aside, very favorable for Damian Pierce because the, the Browns can't stop anybody on the ground. It looks like John has uh, woken back up from his uh, second nap of the show. John, how are you feeling today? Oh, uh, absolutely terrible. Uh, sorry about that, folks. Uh, the, oh, no. the... I'm sorry, folks, by the way, for uh, having to talk so so much. It's got to be unpleasant. The... The uh, the jo- the joys of live streaming, and it, it's great when um, you also get a bunch of notification sounds. Anyway, I'm on my backup computer. Uh, this is just oh, dandy. Sorry, man. <laughs> um, but no, that I mean, football is about being gritty, and uh, you know that. So is podcasting. You know, you have so, to adjust um, in game. That that's what we did. You, you know, our our starter went out. Um, we thought he could come back in. He can't. Uh, he likes to just kind of randomly uh, power off. Um, pretty good, pretty good. But uh, if I if I heard you correctly, you were diving into Texans Browns. Yeah, I'd say I'm pretty much done with it. I mean, I, you know, I said uh, Watson's probably going to be good. You know, you like all the the Browns players on offense, and uh, I said Kyle Allen sucks, and Damian Pierce is good. Yeah, I mean that 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 about sums it up. I, I guess my my last lingering question on the Browns is as we you know get Deshaun Watson back in the fold here, um, any interest in in Anthony Schwartz moving forward as as like a depth option or is he more DFS only? I don't think he's anything really. I mean, he's interesting as a prospect, but he's still a raw prospect. Like I think he just turned twenty two like a month ago. So he's been in the league a, a long time, but he was, he was one of the very youngest players in his class. And uh, you knew with him coming out of Auburn that he was raw, like he was more track athlete trying to become a receiver. Like maybe he eventually gets to, uh, you know, Marquise Goodwin kind of level or ideally something better, but even Marquise Goodwin took a few years, you know, spending less time on track, more on football. And eventually the, the abilities started to play up a little bit, but in the meantime, I don't think Schwartz is going to – is Schwartz even going to play more snaps than David Bell? Like, I think David Bell's usually their main slot guy, um, at least when Cooper's lined up outside in a three-wide. So I like Schwartz a little bit, but he's he's like a long, long-term, you know, modest yield kind of asset even then. Okay. All right. Just wanted to make sure he had the exciting play last week, so I w- wanted he to – He is fast, and he, he's yes. got something. Like, he's not a bum in my opinion, but he's just, he's just so young, and he's started – it, it, playing that much track, like you're, you're going to come into football with less attention to detail than the other guys who don't do track. No, that, that's true. He he does have you know basically world class speed, but um, you know that doesn't always translate on on the gridiron. Um, all right, before we move on to our next game, let's hit some ad reads. We got a message from our friends over at Picket. Picket is a social bet tracking app that takes out all the hassle of tracking your bets and performance over time. Pickett connects every major U.S. sportsbooks, that's DraftKings, FanDuel, and others, and DFS picking providers like Prize Picks, Underdog, Thrive Fantasy, and more. Once you look up all your sportsbooks, Pickett does all the heavy lifting to slice and dice your betting data. You'll get detailed historical P&L, graphs, breakdowns by team, sport, player, and bet type, and more. You can also line shop for the best odds across your linked sportsbooks to make sure you're getting the most bang for your buck. 
When your bets are live, you can track the scores and stats of the games you've bet on, as well as get player prop updates for the most uh, major player prop markets. No more switching between your sportsbook app and different score apps. By far, the biggest differentiator is that Pickett syncs history and bets from all legal major sportsbooks. There is no manual entry required to track your bets. Once you have your accounts linked, it's effortless from there. The social feed and community is what turns Pickett from just a bet tracking app to a home for betting where you can learn from others, see what others are doing, and verified content to inform your betting decisions. Visit Pickett.com. That's P-I-K-K-I-T.com to download the Pickett app today. And we also got a message from our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. Football is officially back on Monkey Knife Fight with all the NFL action you're looking for. And if college football is more your speed, they've got plenty of that too. On Monkey Knife Fight, there's no sharks, no salary caps, and no math. It's just easy to play, easy to win, daily fantasy player props. Join now at monkeyknifefight.com and you'll get your first game free. Then use promo code RWNFL to get your first deposit matched instantly up to $100. So what are you waiting for? Join Monkey Knife Fight today. All right, onward. So uh, we hit the Texans-Browns uh, game uh, as well. So we're, we're uh, and you touch on the Titans, correct me if correct. I'm wrong? Correct, yeah. I believe we're just night games we're, we're yes we're in oh, no, miami san francisco so we we've got miami san francisco we've got the the chiefs Bengals. um we, coasters, yeah yes um but before we we hit those let's quickly get Rams seahawks in in here uh seahawks seven point favorites on the road against uh a rams team that is just kind of playing out the string yeah um i, I could see the seahawks kind of like having to grind it out a little bit on offense like it wouldn't be surprising if the Rams uh, played decent enough defense, but their offense, I don't know what you can say. It's like if, Bryce, if Bryce Perkins doesn't have, or is it, are they back to Walford? Sorry, I should have looked that up. Um, Bryce Perkins is fast, so he can make the long run, but he can't throw. And uh, Walford probably can't really do either, I guess, even if it is Walford. So, yeah, the... As long as Gino doesn't somehow bad, have, as long as Gino, Gino doesn't have somehow his first bad game of the year, I don't know how the Seahawks blow it, but I guess the cover is a separate question. Yeah, seven points. The, the Seahawks can obviously be a little bit volatile uh, for, from week to week. Did not see that that uh, Raiders result uh, coming last week, of course, that that type of thing. But uh, I think the Rams are just so cooked at this point that oh, yeah. um, that even even with that, like they couldn't cover last week when the Chiefs were like hardly trying. So um, I just. I'm just so out on the Rams. It's a preseason uh, you, team. Yeah, it's it's pathetic. What, this what is week four out. preseason. It it's heinous. So yeah, I I think that yeah that this sets up extremely well for the Seahawks. Would you have any interest in in like stacking the Seahawks as a result for for DFS purposes? Or are you stopping short of that? I don't I don't know. Uh, they don't they're, they're unlikely to have much urgency pushing the offense toward like aggressive plays you know they might kind of they might just play a submission hold strategy from the start and then just kind of accept a couple uh non-scoring drives and just sort of say like yeah we're just we're confident that once we get walker to 15 carries and get homer to you know five carries that you guys are going to be pretty much done for at that point and it's probably a, a bet that you know would be smart enough to make so 
I don't know why they would even show that much playbook. Like if they do, I think they'll get to a quick lead and then reel in the playbook from that point. Like I, d- I doubt they'll really drive up anyone's numbers in this setting. Okay. All right. Good, good, good to point out because it, you know, theoretically soft matchup, but then like you said, they, they just might not have uh, that, that fire under them necessarily. Unless Pete just really uh, wants to stick it to McVeigh for for whatever reason, which you know I wouldn't he blame. He could, him. he could. I yeah. think I do think Pete, even though he's such a nice guy, he does. He, he's so psychologically smart about football that like he might see this as a chance. Like I gotta feed my uh, barbarians plunder to keep them motivated and and uh, full of bloodlust for for our next fight. We're burning the boats, baby. All right, <laughs> onward. This I can't decide if this is the best game of the, of the week or if it's Chiefs Bengals, but we got Dolphins Niners. The Niners have some concerning injuries, uh, of course. Um, heavy action earlier in the week coming in on, on the Dolphins, and I think that that's it's a bit reactionary. I, I think that the Dolphins are very good. I think that the line is about right, but I, I think that the you know for the dolphins to have been getting like 80% of the action earlier earlier in the week i think it's a bit you know obviously the the niners didn't play well last week against the saints but you know they're they're coming off a game a Monday night game that everyone was really buzzing about afterward that the offense looked like the full potential of what that offense could look like obviously elijah mitchell goes down uh during during the saints uh, game uh mccaffrey a little bit iffy as well i know t- rough rough news there and then I think it's also kind of worth noting that, you know, that that Mexico City game was at extremely high elevation, like even higher than than Denver. So that there can, you know, they talk about it in baseball all the time where like the first first game or first series that the Rockies play on the road after after a home uh, set tends to be a little bit clunky. That's like the time to bet uh, against the Rockies other than times you normally would. So I think that just it's understandable and forgivable that the Niners played the way that they did last week. And they still, you know, would they register a shutout? A shutout. Yeah. yeah. So I, I still feel good about the Niners in this spot. And, and uh, despite all that action, like it, none of the fantasy projections for, for this week are really glowing uh, for the dolphins guys. So, you know, and if the dolphins offense isn't clicking, then I think that they're in trouble. Yeah. So I think Mike McDaniel has been, exceedingly impressive, like one of the most impressive new coaches, I guess, like since McVeigh, something like that. And uh, even going back a long way, I think McDaniel has been about as good as anybody. So I think he's the kind of guy who's going to figure out just about everything. Eventually it's just to compete with a team like the 49ers, especially in like the stakes of this current situation, you need to have a lot of, ammo to work with and you need to have like a finished product and i know that they're way ahead of the projections in some parts of their rebuild and and to the point that you could say like the rebuild is over but they could still improve in a lot of clear ways ways that the 49ers have already shored up like the 49ers are a couple steps further in in their like you know armament they're 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 like the way they've built up themselves is is a couple phases ahead of where the dolphins are so i view it as like the dolphins can win of course like they're they're a good team and despite various limitations it's like they have a really good coach on their side and that that really does mean a lot it, it means like 
better than most teams can kind of anticipate, stay a little bit ahead of the adjustments that might be necessary. It's like a, a slower coach than McDaniel would get hit in the face with really bad results before they would, and it might take multiple weeks of failure before they get the hint and need to make a change. Whereas I think McDaniel's the kind of guy who's more likely to always wonder what he needs to change next and try to stay a little bit ahead of it rather than, you know, repeatedly be caught in panic phases. Uh, so with that said, the Dolphins offense has a couple dependencies that are becoming clear in the way that they work. And I think there might be a harsh adjustment ahead. Um, they'll get, they'll counter adjust and get out of it. But specifically to and Sokabaloa is relying on a lot of these like in breaking routes in the middle of the field uh, at, at not particularly high depths. And that's something that you see open up in the presence of like a really well-established run game. So in a game where Wilson's going or Mostert's going, whoever, they can set that play up, especially after the run threat's been established because the defense needs to kind of bite toward it. They can't just keep letting Mostert get eight to 10 yards or Wilson get five to six yards. They have to do something about that. And if they do, it usually comes at the expense of that middle of the field underneath coverage. And particularly with speed like Hill and Waddle, it's just really tough to stop. And if they get that ball, they're so tough to stop after the catch too. But if you, if some defense finds some way and Domingo Ryan's is kind of the first guy I would, I would put on the list of suspects for this. If anybody figures out a way to stop that run game and, and can neutralize the run without biting on that one look, then, and instead put like a robber in the middle of the field, like, you might see Tua go to make some throw here that's been just, like, money all year, and Jimmy Ward might just step in front of it, and Tua might be wondering, like, well, what the hell happened? And they'll go look on the tape and figure it out, and then the next time they see it, they'll be ready. But this time, I don't know. I, I take the 49ers. I mean, I, I think they are clearly a more well-stocked team. Taron Armstead's out, too, isn't he? So that's um, – even without McCap uh, – I hate the Elijah Mitchell injury, by the way. And I think it's, it's such bad luck that that guy's had, like he never got hurt at Lafayette and he's had like three different types of minor, but still substantial knee injuries. It's like a, mm -hmm. a different way every time. Um, I think Jordan Mason though is good enough. I, I saw that some people were saying, pick up Tyrion Davis price. It's like, I don't know, <laughs> whatever, I guess. Sure. Uh, but Jordan pick up Mason, Trey Sermon while you're at it. Oh, wait. Yeah, J Jordan Mason is better than Tyrion Davis-Price is the thing that I think some people might not understand. Like, I, I bet there's a bad fantasy analysis out there somewhere that's like, well, Jordan Mason's a special teams player, so which is why he was active over Tyrion Davis-Price. But Tyrion Davis-Price has a third-round draft capital. Tyrion Davis-Price should have undrafted draft capital. He's not as good as Mason. So it's going to be Mason or it's going to be nobody or, or Depot, and uh, that's, that's how I see it. But I, I also think the 49ers' defense, I think they're going to get – one of two his worst games in a while. Uh, not for things so much that he can control even really. It's just that Domenico Ryans is, is really tough. And, and with, without Armstead, the pass blocking could be a new problem that two of just hasn't really had to deal with this year in particular. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm all in on the Niners this week. I, I think that this is a really good spot for them. I think it's gonna be a really good game. And I hope that the Dolphins oh, Armstead, offense... Armstead mm -hmm. might be back for the 49ers after like two and a half months. That's, I mean, that, that would be massive, even if he's playing just, you know, kind of a limited snap count, that'd be uh, a big, big addition to them. Um, so yes, in on the Niners in this one, 
Um, let's keep going here. We got the Bengals Chiefs AFC Championship rematch. You're seeing this at Chiefs minus two, minus two and a half, depending on which book you're using. I was very impressed by the Bengals last week uh, going into Tennessee and, and getting the win. I, I I didn't I wasn't. It's not that I didn't think that they could, but I, I just wasn't sold uh, that that they actually would uh, go ahead and and go into Tennessee and get the win. Tennessee been a little bit better on the road than than at home this year, but but even still, you know, to 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 play a team that that loves to drag you into the mud like the Titans do, and and be able to still kind of have that success that they did on offense, no even without Jamar Chase, no Joe Mixon. I mean, that's that's impressive stuff for, from Cincinnati. So I think that they give uh, Kansas City all they all they could handle here. But you could also argue that the Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in football. So it this one's really tricky for me. They might be the best team, but it's also a weak year. Like there's there's a lot of really bad football being played, and even the so-called good teams have like weirdly problematic uh, point differentials. So um, I don't know. We'll see. I think uh, Lou Anarumo doesn't really get much chatter, but I think he's quietly done a pretty really. Actually, I think he's done a really good job as a, the Bengals' defensive coordinator. Like. Sometimes they have the rough spots, but I don't think the personnel is great or anything, and yet they get good results pretty reliably. And and Anarumo is one of those defensive coordinators who this is this is something really difficult difficult to define, let alone like quantify or anything. But he seems to me like one of those guys who has that sort of momentary ability to kind of like rise to unique circumstances and come up with a one week game plan that has you know, really important results uh, for a high stakes game, but doing it in a way that you wouldn't, you wouldn't like anticipate based on their, you know, splits or anything like that. Looking at their tendencies blitz wise or, you know, results in situations of whatever sort. It's like, he has, he has like a pretty good ability to scout. I I guess it must come down to like scouting the opponent and accommodating a, a certain game plan to adjust to that, personnel that you're seeing and that includes of course last year against Mahomes is like I guess in the second half especially they adjusted in some way I can't remember what it would have been but they did something in the second half and Mahomes was just flummoxed basically he couldn't figure out anything that second half and I think that's something Anna Rumo can do and not many defensive coordinators can now doing that without Shadobia Wuzier I don't know uh granted I guess the, the Chiefs don't have the receiver personnel that they did in recent years. So they're not, they're not as likely to threaten the replacement for a woozy uh, as they, especially when they had Tyreek, but that's still such a huge loss. I don't know. I, I, I feel like lo- losing a woozy against Mahomes is almost just like, that's it. Like you can't really do because you're going to have to put four corners on the field a lot. And I don't even know who their fourth corner is. So uh, he might be. He might be okay. They, and I, again, I think Anna Rumo will have not necessarily like a winning game plan, but about as good of one as he can realistically put together. And um, that might not be enough to beat Mahomes, even still. But uh, it, it makes it less than like a less than like a slam dunk. You know, with the, the Chiefs, there's usually certain things you can bank on, especially with as it relates to Mahomes. And I don't know if you can quite put as much certainty on it against uh, Anna Rumo, at least given the recent results between the two. And since 
I, I think Anaruma has done a pretty good job for years, actually. Yeah, no, clearly. And, and that was obviously the big story coming out of uh, the, the AFC championship game a year ago. Um, and then on the other side, let's presume that, that Mixon and, and Chase are back in the fold. You know, how well do that we think that, that this Cincy offense can kind of match what Kansas City does? So, uh, I think it was a recent, I can't remember if it was a recent episode of ours or on the radio, but I was talking to somebody about how I thought, like, Tyler Boyd, clearly a good player, but he he almost doesn't seem to fit Burrow that well. Like, I think Boyd, as a guy who doesn't create a ton of separation and more so just does the little things right as a receiver and accumulates little tiny advantages over the defense, like, that kind of player is better used by a strong-arm quarterback who can zip it really quickly with those small openings, whereas Burrow, I think, kind of needs to set up loftable trajectories to his passes. Like, he just doesn't have much zip. So I think while Boyd is overqualified as their third receiver, and in theory he should be able to step up when Jamar Chase gets hurt, I don't know if he actually can with Burrow. Like, his numbers didn't get any better for it anyway. It's like Burrow just kind of started running more, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that might continue because Burrow is, you know, a, another year removed from that ACL, and he was running quite a lot at LSU, actually. So he, he can keep doing that. Um, but either way, the return of Chase would be a huge, uh, you know, just it, it renegotiates the entire picture for that offense. Um, just in general. And in a matchup like this, too, it might be even more the case because the Chiefs, they're getting good results from these three rookie corners. They're running outside. Like they got Lajarius Sneed. He, he plays everywhere, but he, he has like sole ownership of the slot or pretty close to it. Uh, while outside, they're running Trent McDuffie, who he's, he's probably pretty good. He's probably, he might be really good. But at 5'10 or whatever he is with short arms, he can't really deal with these tall, rangy receivers like T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. So if Jamar Chase is back, and if he's even like 85% of what he usually is, that still constitutes an upgrade over Boyd. And he's running against rookie corners. Like, it doesn't matter how good these guys I think Jalen Watson looks pretty impressive. And um, I haven't had a chance to look at Josh Williams that much, but he could be really good. Um, They're getting good enough results with both of those guys playing a lot of snaps. But... Three rookies and the best one, the most polished in the meantime of the three, is a short guy with short arms. So that's particularly a problem against Higgins, and it's also a problem against Chase. And uh, yeah, Chiefs. They I know Steve Spagnolo sometimes comes up with good game plans himself, but like he really needs one here because you you just can't win. I, I just can't imagine how over a long sample you win reliably with rookie corners, especially like two of them being day three types going against receivers like Higgins and Chase. Right. That, that could end up being the the big storyline, especially when, when the Bengals uh, have the ball. So I'll be paying close attention to, to how those guys are holding up because I mean, it, I don't know if it gets much better uh, that, than the top three guys there in Cincinnati out wide. Um, let's run through these last handful of games here uh one more afternoon game and a couple of nighters uh we got chargers raiders raiders have won two in a row we got an over under 50 and a half the chargers just always seem to play down to their opponent for for whatever reason no matter who's the coach no matter who's it's it's uh maddening 
not, like, not even against the Cardinals could they cover. Unbelievable. I I I think um, to be fair to Soy Boy, like that that was a pretty dangerous game going to de- to deal with the Cardinals just as they get Marquise Brown back and and you know Kyler Murray, but yeah they they should have won the game so it's it's good I guess that they did what they were supposed to do. Whether they can do that two weeks in a row, that's that's where I get a little anxious. But uh, the Raiders. Josh Josh Jacobs can't possibly be as good as his numbers have been, but man, has he been good this year? Yeah. Uh, in in such a way that the Chargers have to have a lot of reason to worry here, because if, if he can do, if Josh Jacobs can do the things he's done this year, then why wouldn't he run all over the Chargers? Like, it's hard to hard to think of it. How to think? It's hard to think of how it could go wrong. But um, even if Nate Hobbs is back, and Nate Hobbs has been really good the last two years for the Raiders at corner, if he's back. And let's just say he more or less neutralizes Keenan Allen. Josh Palmer's, I think, been good enough, uh, especially because the defense tends to leave him, you know, correctly so. They leave him as like the third or fourth concern in, in, among the route runners. He is winning in that context. And the Raiders outside corners are probably enough below average that he can be the wide receiver two for a week and, and do a good enough job, especially if Eckler is doing what he usually does. So I do worry a little bit about, I mean, Devante has been with the exception of the saints game where I, I, I really do think those guys all had COVID that week and just played yeah. through it. Um, he's been just insane. He's been as good as he's been in green Bay basically. So if he's giving kind of automatic returns on that level, uh, the Raiders will be competitive and, and could even win, especially if Jacobs keeps producing like he has, but um, I, I will take, I'll, I'll take the chargers. I just don't feel good about it. Yeah. It's, they're a team that you side with, but you know, you almost never feel good about it for whatever reason. Is even Marino. Even... He's, he's our Marino. And I know a lot of people don't want to, a people underrate Marino and B they, they, they underrate uh, Herbert, but it's, it's true. He's, he's so good. It gives me pause, even though I, t- to pick against this team. I mean, uh, even though I think the rest of the team around him pretty much sucks. It sure does. Sure does. Um, let's go. Uh, Colts, Cowboys. Colts, Cowboys. Suck. Cowboys rule. That's pretty much where I'm at with this one as well. Um, yeah, I don't think a whole lot needs to be added there. Frankly, um, Indianapolis is just in, in deep trouble. Um, let's finish it out. Uh, Saints, Bucks. We got a question uh, about this game uh, from our guy Big Trev. Big Trev wants to know: Would you start Camara? or Rashad White, it sounds like Lenny is going to play. Lenny, of course, being one Leonard Fournette. One Leonard Fournette. Uh, it's it's not as easy of a pick as I thought it'd be, but I would still go with Kamara. I mean, Rashad White's fine. I don't, I don't, he's, he's, he was a good pick where they took him, but he, to me, even in theory, was never supposed to be a, like a starting running back in Fournette. He, he's got his issues or whatever, but he was giving them returns better than white before he got hurt and before he had his ridiculous visa episode <laughs> or past passport. What, I don't yeah. know. I don't know that stuff. Um, anyway, Fournette is still better than white. It's just like white's a good complimentary player that the, the, the Buccaneers feature, whereas the, the, the saints offense can't get to step one without Kamara. And then, you know, as it, I'm I'm with you on, on Kamara in, in this spot, as far as this game is concerned, I know that the saints, are really bad. 
And I know that earlier this year, I think a lot of people, you know, felt like, oh, even though that they're not good, they always seem to give the Bucks a lot of trouble. Um, and I faded that the first go round. I think I'm going to buy in on it this time because I think the Bucks are worse than I than I thought that they were going to be when uh, when they beat the Saints earlier this year in New Orleans. And uh, it's also past uh, Tommy Boy's uh, bedtime with it with it being a, a Monday night game. So I think that the, I think that the Saints somehow cook up a way to to keep this one close. Yeah. So after after Tom gets his senior discount at the Old Town Buffet, he he might. Uh, at the very least, let the Saints cover. But you're right. I I really thought the Buccaneers would be better this year than they are. And it's been like a month and a half now that, uh, of course, following some preceding disappointing game, I'm like, well, they'll they'll start to figure it out now. And maybe there's just only a certain amount you can figure things out with a 45 year old quarterback and. Um, not to put it all on Brady, they they have truly had a lot of other difficulties. But man, there there are some plays where where you see with Brady throwing the ball, where you think like, oh man, he's he's injecting stem cells on the sideline, like he's he's doing you know black magic on the sideline. And then there's other plays where he gets the slightest bit of pressure, and you're like, that's a 45 year old man. <laughs> and it's it's like that second case is happening enough. That it's at the very least throwing off like the vision that I had in my head. I in my the vision I had in my head is you know Mecca Tom Brady, uh, forty five years old and made of mostly machine parts, is like throwing to to all these wide open guys and he has all day, like a couple of years ago, and it's just like a, I guess a couple of years ago is gone now and it's just not coming back. And uh, the Saints suck, so I don't want to like I don't want to make it sound like the Buccaneers can't win a game. They can they can win a game against most teams. It's just I thought they'd be the NFC Super Bowl team, and they're they're not. They're not going to be that. So, um, I I think I'll take the Saints to cover just because that two and a half point swing is a little bit nauseating for me to think on. But admittedly, I have no idea how they're going to like score a point, let alone uh, cover. No, it's they're going to have to really like just dominate with defense. Hope that they can get a defensive score of some kind or uh, some sort of fluky Taysom Hill outcome. But uh, it's uh, been a while. It's been a little while since we went like, oh, Taysom, you you little jerk. You know, so maybe it's time for one of those days. Yeah, there's there's parallels here. You know, there there's like that volcano in Hawaii that hasn't erupted in a long time earlier this week. Like maybe like that's the star sign for, for Taysom someone, Hill. Yeah, we need, we need one of these analytics uh bodies needs to get serious and start providing us in volcano splits and out of volcano splits so that we know who we can count on this week thank you okay so put put those spreadsheet skills to use somebody out there please do some Uh, work for for once you guys crying out loud um we've got uh one last uh question here from our guy brian uh super flex league would you start uh trevor lawrence Mike White or Jared Goff this week? Um, I think it's Lawrence for me. It's definitely not White for me. I do I do give Goof a little more consideration than I thought I would, but I, I go with Lawrence, yeah. All right. That'll do it for us. Um, Trevor Lawrence, the man, that's the big takeaway uh, from this fail. from this pod. That that and the, the machines are conspiring against me, but we we prevailed. We finished the stream. We actually we did the dang thing. 
Thank you for your patience uh, dur during that uh, little snafu. But that's going to do it for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, pre presented by our friends over at No House Advantage. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.